Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Gary Chapman. Uh, Gary's a speaker, counselor, and the best-selling author of the Five Love Languages series, one of the most successful books of all time. Uh, it's sold over 11, 10, 11, 12 million copies at this point. He's got a bunch of other books turned into a whole series. This is one of my favorite books of all time. I was telling him right before we started the interview. We, my whole family's read it. I've read it. <laughs> I bought it for my whole company. We did a book club around it. Uh, so I love the book and I'm excited to go kind of in the, behind the scenes uh, on this book, how it's become so su successful, how it's turned into a series, just kind of the whole story. So Gary, great to have you here. Well, thank you, Chandler. It's good to be with you. So I want to go back a little bit because uh, I think it was 1992 the book was first published. How did how did you decide how and why did you decide to write the book and how'd that come about? You know that book grew out of my counseling. Uh, I discovered years ago that uh, what makes one person feel loved doesn't make another person feel loved. And they would sit in my office and one of them would say, "You know, I just don't feel any love coming from him or her." And the other would say. I don't understand that. I do this and this and this. Why would you not feel loved? And I knew people could be sincere and still miss each other. And I heard similar stories over and over in my office. And finally, I thought, you know, there's got to be a pattern to this. And so I sat down and read several years of notes that I made when I was counseling and asked myself the question. When someone said, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what did they want? What were they complaining about? And their answers fell into five categories. <laughs> and I later called them the five love languages and started using it in my counseling that if you want her to feel love, you've got to express love in her language. If you want him to feel love, you've got to express love in his language. And I'd help them discover their language, challenge them to go home and try it. And sometimes they would come back in three weeks and say, Gary, this is changing everything. I mean, the whole climate's different now. And then I started using it with small groups of couples and the same thing would happen. Probably five years later, I thought, you know, if I could put this concept in a book, write it in the language of the common person, leave out the psychological jargon, maybe I could help a lot of couples that I would never have time to see in my office. Little did I know, uh, my publisher told me just a month ago, it's sold now, Kander, 15 million copies in English. <laughs> it's been translated and published in over 50 languages around the world. Wow. So that's, uh, that's how it happened. Uh, I think the first year it sold 4,000 copies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And every year since then, it sells more than it did the year before which yeah. as you know, doesn't happen uh, to books. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's awesome, Gary. That's uh, great. So I, you touched on a couple of concepts there that I want to unpack, which was writing for the everyday person, not yeah. in jargon, which I think can be difficult, especially when, with someone has a lot of degrees, 
is smart in their field, it can be easy to write to other experts in that field instead of writing to, uh, to in a way that people will actually understand it. Why was that important to you? And how did, and, and then maybe tougher question, how did you practically do it in a way that resonated so well with a common person so that they could implement it? Well, you know, I think it is important. Obviously, it depends on your audience. I mean, if you're if you're an academic person and you're writing to other academics, then yeah, you're going to use all the terminology that they're all common with. But if you're trying to reach the average person, which is what I'm trying to reach, because my counseling has been through the years with just people, people like me, <laughs> and uh, and so I wanted to write to the to the common person, uh, not not in any academic setting or using academic terms. Uh, because this is a practical message and every couple that's married, uh, this book will help them. You know, I know it'll help them. And uh, so, uh, you know, that was, that was my intention from the, from the very first is to write it in the language of, of a common person. And, uh, and to me, it's been very rewarding because, you know, my whole objective in writing was to take a concept that I knew would help people and disseminate it, you know, by print. And uh, of course, I had no idea what would happen, you know, that ha what has happened. I had no idea that, that it would be so widespread, but that was, that was my whole intent. And that's why I wrote that way. And it wasn't hard for me to write that way because I, I deal with common people, you know, in my counseling, right. I use common terms. I don't use a bunch of psychological terms. Uh, so yeah, that's what motivated me. And uh, yeah. so, and, and that's most of my writing. That's what I've done. I, I, I don't write for the academic community, I write for, for the average Joe or Mary. When, and you write like you're talking to and have talked to the people who are in the room in those sessions, which I think is, yeah. is very, very impactful. Can you talk to me about the framework? Because I think that's a powerful thing that you, you did so well. And I don't know if this was intuitive or accidental, but it, you, know, you, you said you poured through notes over years of sessions and came up with a framework. So yeah. thoughts on how you bubbled up those five things and actually created the framework. And then probably also any, any advice for other counselors or coaches or people who are in this same uh, kind of scenario where they want to create a framework, but it can feel daunting to create a framework, uh, you know, out of, out of those common lessons that you're learning. Yeah, well, th this really grew out of, as I said, those five things that I discovered. These were the five things people were complaining about, you know we just don't spend any time together. You know, he washes dishes, he vacuums floors, but we don't ever talk, you know? And so the five complaints, you know, became the heart of the book. Of course, also, uh, you know, I'm writing on love and, and the emotional need for love. And so I wanted to spend some time on the, the whole thing of falling in love because love is a very confusing word. You know, we say, I love hot dogs. I love barbecue. I love the mountains. I love the beach. And then we say to someone, I love you. What's that supposed to mean? You know, so I wanted to deal, <laughs> I, I wanted to deal with uh, basically three, three ways we use the word love. And that is, first of all, the, what we call falling in love, which is an emotion. It starts with an emotion. It grows to become an emotional obsession with the other person. And you just can't, you can't get enough of being together. And they're just absolutely incredibly wonderful. And and so I wanted to describe that because I dealt with that so many years you know, in, in the counseling office. And, and what no one had ever told me is that we do come down off that high. And of course, was, we've done a lot of research now. We know that uh, the average is two years. We come down off that emotional high. And I wanted to include that because I didn't know that when I got married. And my wife and I had been dating for two years before we got married. 
So I came down pretty soon after the honeymoon and I was concerned about, man, I don't know, this is, this is not going well, you know? <laughs> so I wanted to explain that part. And then I wanted to talk about love as an attitude because this is, this is the really for the long term. This is really where it starts. It's not, it's not with the emotion, it's with an attitude. And the attitude is, uh, I want to invest my life in helping you. And if a husband and wife has that attitude, they're, they're going to find out how to do it. And so you, we choose our attitudes. We don't choose our emotions. We choose our attitudes. And then I wanted to share this, this five, you know, the five languages that I discovered. So those were kind of the three, uh, you know, concepts. And, uh, and so I just, that's, that's the way the book is, is written. And that's the way I developed the book. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think, uh, I think you, uh, as a writer, you have to think in terms of whatever the topic you're writing on, you have to think in terms of uh, what are the basic ideas that I want to deal with in this book. And, uh, you know, what I typically do is just, you know, kind of, I don't, I don't give chapter titles, but I give chapter content ideas, you know, I want to deal with this and this and this and this. And I work with the titles of the chapters later, but you have to have an idea of where you're going, you know, what are the basic topics you want to cover in this particular subject? And then you think in terms of what's the most logical way, you know, to, to fit those in. So that's what I do. Got it. So you start with overarching concepts or maybe even a framework and then kind of pull back into content topics. And then that kind of creates the outline and then you go through and write the book. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's Got basically it. what I do. Yeah. That makes sense. Any other tips for folks who are maybe in the counseling world or pastors or, or, or in, in kind of this world where they're, where they're working with people one-on-one -on -one to any other tips or things you've learned kind of the hard way on how to create those frameworks or how to bubble up. And, and cause I mean, I think it could be very easy to go through those thousands of sessions like you did and not, not pinpoint those five things. So any yeah. other tips on creating frameworks for your writing? Yeah, I think for, for a counselor or a pastor that's dealing with people that are wrestling with problems and you're trying to help them solve the problems, you want to ask yourself, you know, what, what has been most helpful to people in the, in the years that I've been counseling? And I suggest people uh, in the counseling area, don't write too soon. <laughs> Hang off a few years. Make sure you found something that works before you write about it. Uh, is we don't write just to be writing. We write because we have a message, you know, that we want, that we want to communicate to people, whatever the topic. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be in counseling. But I think for counselors, what you're, what you're looking for is if I had a, if I had a message or three messages that, that I really felt I'd like that would help people if I could get it out in writing, because it's helped people that I've been working with, what would be those three topics or those four topics or whatever, you know? And, uh, if you just, just think in terms of your counseling, what's been most successful, what's helped most people. And uh, what have the people come back and said, you know, this, this, this just changed things. This, this was a life changer for us. So I think that, that's what you look for, because if it's helped, if it's helped a number of people that you've worked with, then it's going to help a bunch of other people out there mm. because all of our uh, struggles and relationship struggles are, are common struggles. They're, they're, they're things that we all have, but we don't all have all of them, but we all have many of them. Mm. So yeah, that, that's kind of the approach, you know, that I would suggest. That's great. And you said, don't write too soon. Did you, you went through and discovered the frameworks or the five love languages. Then did you come back and test them kind of in sessions and did, did they stay the same? Did you tweak them? And before you ultimately wrote the book? 
No, actually, I'd had so much experience with that uh, through the years in my counseling and with couples and, and, uh, you know, that I, I, I knew, I knew that this would help. So <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't have to do a lot of rewriting. Matter of fact, that's the easiest book I've ever written because I'd had so much experience with it. And uh, so it just, it just really came. Uh, yeah. As I said, it was really the easiest book I've written. I wrote two books before that. And each of those grew out of uh, my ministry. I worked for 10 years with college students. And every year I would do a, a course on Sunday morning for college students. And, uh, I, I, or every Sunday I would. And every year I would take three months and I would do a course on preparation for marriage. Now, these are not engaged people. These are just college kids. I said, if you're ever going to get married, here's some things you need to learn. So I taught this class for several years. And then I wrote a book called the original title was Toward a Growing Marriage. Uh, and the idea was, if you, if you plan to get married somewhere down the line, you need to be exposed to some of these things, you know. And so that grew out of that 10 years. And then the second book, uh, for the next 10 years, I worked with young single adults. And some of them weren't so young. Uh, and some of them were single again. About half of them were single again. So working with never married singles and, and, and those that were divorced. Or, and are separated. And so that book was called, the original title was called Hope for the Separated, Wounded Marriages Can Be Healed. So, you know, I've been wrestling with those issues for 10 years. So, so both of those books grew out of a 10 year experience in that particular field. And then the love language, of course, came several years later and, and it was, you know, as I've described it. So, yeah, I think, yeah. We, I think we, we write out of the overflow. Mm. It's not that we're creating stuff just to write. It's, it's growing out of whatever field you're in, whatever interest you have. The writing grows out of the overflow of, of what you've discovered. That's great. Now, obviously the books, I mean, just the single book, you said, I think 15 million copies sold now and <laughs> all the, I mean, you've got, I, I was just scrolling before this interview, I'm scrolling through your Amazon page. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many different versions. There's different languages. There's all different types of books. Uh, I'm all with hundreds of thousands of copies sold. So I guess specifically to the five love languages now, I mean, you published this and you've probably gotten so many questions since then. And you know, people that are confused on certain things or uh, asking questions about things. Have you changed the framework at all? Has, 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 the, has the framework evolved? And then you, you did an updated and revised version. What was the thought process behind doing that? And what were some of the things that you updated? Yeah, the framework was the same. I never changed the framework, never changed the love languages. Uh, in, our, in our updates, so basically we just uh, brought in a little more about technology, you know, in the, in, since technology has developed more and more and how to make it an asset in relationships and how to apply it, you know, in the love language things. That, that's, that's pretty much it. We haven't done radical revisions of that original book. And the series, you know, the other books that grew out have just come one by one. Uh, in the original book, I had a chapter on how this works with children. It's not in the written, not in the book now. We took it, took it out because people kept saying, yeah, we need more help with how this works with children. So I teamed up with Dr. Ross Campbell, who was a, a psychiatrist. So he's in heaven now, but died a few years ago. But he had had 30 years experience with children and he was fascinated with the love languages. And so I teamed up with him and we wrote the five love languages of children. It's written for parents on how to effectively love children. Same five languages. And then people started saying to me, Gary, yeah, that book was really helpful, but now they've turned teenagers. 
and it doesn't seem to be working. I'm doing the same thing. It's not working. <laughs> so the, does the love language change? So, you know, that, <laughs> that's what motivated me to write the one for teenagers or to parents of teenagers. And then single adults started saying to me, I know you wrote your original book for married couples, but I read it. It's helped me in all of my relationships. Why don't you write one just for singles? So that's what stimulated it. And you wrote that one on how this applies for the single adult, how it applies in all your relationships to your parents, to your siblings, to your college roommates, to your dating partners, to your work associates. So that's really how the series has grown uh, is, is people bringing up the need you know, for it. And uh, in more recent years, I've teamed up with some people uh, who, who knew more than I did about a particular topic. For example, Ron Deal and I, I don't know if you know Ron Deal, but Ron uh, has been working with, with blended families for 25 years. He's, he's probably the expert on blended families. And uh, he approached me about writing one with him on how the love languages works in a blended family. And so, you know, that came, I would not have written that book because I haven't worked as much as he has. So if I'm on a, if I'm on a co-author, I'm on a co-author with somebody that knows more than I do about the topic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so that, that's how those came. There's some, several of those books. One is how it works if you've lost a baby. And I, it's with a lady that, I, that lost two babies and then she started to ministry to couples that lose babies. And then one is uh, special needs families. How does it work when you have a special needs child? So, you know, all of those have just come out of a military edition, for example. I'll speak on military bases and chaplains say, Gary, you got to write one for the military with using military illustrations and especially tell us how to speak the love languages when you're deployed. Mm. Because if we can stay connected while we're deployed, when we come back, it's going to be a much better reentry. Mm. And so we interviewed, you know, people because the military was using the original book. And we interviewed a lot of couples and got ideas on how to speak these love languages, you know, long distance. I'll just give you one. Just throw this in for fun. Uh, one, one lady said, Dr. Chen, my husband's language is physical touch. Now, you would think physical touch would be impossible when you're deployed half a world away. She said, but I put my hand on a sheet of paper and I traced my hand and I mailed it to him with a note that said, put your hand on my hand. I want to hold your hand. When he came home, he said, Gary, every time I put my hand on that paper, I felt her. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not literal touch, it's emotional touch, but that's yeah. what we're talking about, you know. Yeah. So anyway, it's been a it's been a fun journey, you know. And yeah. I, I I didn't sit down and lay out my plan to write yay many books, you know, in a lifetime. Yeah. I've just kind of stayed with whatever God brings along the way, whatever interest surfaces with me or other people. And, uh, you know, uh, some people have a plan, you know, and they, they, they follow that plan, but yeah, I, I've just kind of followed the door. God opened, <laughs> I guess yeah. is the way I would put it. <laughs> hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right. So if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. And, and I think that's encouraging to hear because I think it's easy 
and it's easy to now see the millions of copies sold and the series and think, okay, this is a very calculated plan of turning the successful book into a series. But I love, and I think a key takeaway for, for folks watching or listening is to start with the reader and, yep. and, and, and start with the human that's on the other side and, and how every book in your series came out of a need uh, and, and came out of a, a desire to serve a different audience slightly better with a similar framework. And so I think when you, when you humanize it that way, it, 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 it just makes it so much more relatable and, and within reach, I think for a lot of folks, Gary, do you have any, any tips um, for folks on working with co-authors? Obviously, as you've done the series, you've worked with multiple different um, co-authors. What does that process look like? Any lessons learned or tips for folks there? Well, the first time I wrote a book with a co-author was with uh, Dr. Ross Campbell. And that's when we both learn how not to do it. Because <laughs> what we did, we laid out the topics, you know, the chapter topics, not, not titles, but topics. And then he wrote a rough draft and I wrote a rough draft. And then we gave it to an editor to put it together. And then we get the edited version and I'm reading it and thinking, why did she leave that out? That was a key point. And he's reading it and saying, why did she leave that out? <laughs> so uh, it, it wasn't anything controversial. I mean, we just, we had to work through stuff though, because yeah. we just felt like, you know, we, neither one of us agreed necessarily with the, what the editor had done. And, it was a little harder to do. Uh, so that's the last time I did it that way. Uh, what I do with co-authors now is if it's a book where I know a whole lot about it and, and they're just kind of joining me because they've been involved in it and, you know, da, 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 but I'm more the writer and they're more just the experienced person. Uh, then I write the rough draft, but I interview them and get all the stories and things that they have. And I, I do the rough draft, then give it to them. And then they can add or subtract or divide, you know, but if the other person knows more about it than I do, I let them write the rough draft. And then I take it and, and, and tweet it and put, you know, put my ideas in and so forth and then give it back to them. And so we, you know, but we're, we're working on the same manuscript. We're not working on two different manuscripts. So that, that works better to me. That, that's, that's the way I've done it. That's really smart. And I love that. We always, I always joke that writing with a co-author is kind of like trying to to paint a painting with two hands on the paintbrush. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're if you're both trying to write it, that's what it feels like. But I love the alternative of either there's one person or the other uh, writing the first draft and yeah. then edits coming after. That's it, it is it is at least for me harder to co-author a book than it yeah. is to write the book. Because if it's you, then you, you've got, you know, it's your mind and, and you're, you're asking God for wisdom and others for, you know, but it's just, you know, but, but then you're bringing two minds together and it's, it's yeah. more difficult to put, put it together. But, but, in, but in certain cases, I think it's wise because uh, like I, some of those books I would never have written if, if right. I didn't have a co-author. Yeah. Right. I interviewed, um, uh, this is another good um good resource for folks listening about co-authoring specifically. I interviewed um, Leif Babin, co-author of uh, the book Extreme Ownership. Uh, if you've ever heard of that book, he co-wrote that with Jocko Wilnick. And he's, he talked about their process, um, which is slightly different from what you're talking about, um, which is they alternate chapters. Oh. Um, but even that can be tough, difficult, right? Because you have to tie a through line through the entire book while also alternating chapters. Yeah. But either way, hopefully some, some good tips for folks on co-authoring. Gary, I'd love to go 
uh, talk the original book launch and, and sales and things like that. You know, now it's easy to look 15 million copies sold, smash it, and it's easy to not remember. And I, you mentioned this stat a little bit. I looked up some stats before this. I think it's 8,500 copies year one, 17,000 copies year two, 135,000 copies year three. And you said, you know, kind of since then, it's sold more copies every single year. So I'd love for you to talk about the first year or two. Like, what, what were the things that you did to launch the book? How did you launch it? How do you feel like it, it started getting, getting traction and, and building momentum over the years? You know, that's a good question. And I'm not sure I can answer it. Because <laughs> I don't remember a lot of what we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, uh, uh, my publisher, obviously, you know, uh, put out some publicity on the book and uh, I did, uh, they set up some interviews for me, you know, some radio interviews for me, ma mainly radio interviews for me. Uh, uh, but it was a slow, it was a slow launch. It, it was not a, it was not a, a big launch, as you said, what, 8,000 or so the first year. Uh, so, uh, but I, I don't remember anything specifically. Now I will tell you about my first book, uh, the, the one I mentioned earlier, yeah, it was called Toward a Growing Marriage. I was first time author, real excited, you know, and and uh, so I go to the to the grocery stores in my hometown and say, "Would you all be willing to just put, you know?" Uh, uh, and my my publisher had a stand, you know. Would y'all be willing to put it in the grocery store and, and sell my books, you know? And and a couple of them agreed, you know, because <laughs> your first book, you're excited, you know. Uh, but if I can back up, I, I, this might encourage your writers because the first that first book I wrote, I self-published it before self-publishing was even known. The term was not <laughs> even known. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I put it in an eight and a half by eleven spiral bound book that I got a printer in my city to put it together, and uh, and I had uh, I had a, a, a secretary who. Uh, uh, who, who, I don't know exactly how we, how I worked with her, but I do know I went out of town and she, so she had it printed and published. I mean, uh, printed. And I started reading, we, we printed a thousand copies and I started reading through it and it was filled with typos. <laughs> <laughs> filled with typos because I didn't do a final reading before she yeah. did it. And I told my wife, there's no way I can sell this book. I'm not going to put out a book that's filled with typos. So my first publishing experience was to throw a thousand copies for which I paid, throw them in the trash can. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and then I, I went through it and I got all that worked out and I did the same thing. Another thousand copies on spiral bound. And of course I, at that time I was selling these because people were beginning to ask me to come and speak you know, at mm, church events yeah. and other things, come and speak on this topic of marriage. And I wanted to have something to leave in their hands. That's what motivated me, a follow-up to, to a speech, that if they have something to you know take home after the speech, it's going to uh, be more effective. And so I sold those thousand copies, then did another thousand copies, and I sold those over a period of time, you know. And then uh, I, I applied to four publishing houses, and they all rejected it. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, I, uh, I contacted Moody Publishers in Chicago, and they read it and said, we like it, we want to publish it. So that's my that's started my journey with Moody, Moody Publishers in Chicago. 
So don't be discouraged, I guess is what I'm saying. If you're yeah. a first time writer and you're publishing yourself or self-publishing, you got a whole lot more help now uh, like yeah. through people like you, Chandler, a whole lot more help now in self-publishing uh, than I had. So my experience, I wouldn't say don't follow my experience, <laughs> but I'm just telling you, uh, don't be discouraged. If you've got something you really feel like needs to be said, stick with it. And uh, uh, obviously, if you're self-publishing, you do need to think in terms of, you know, how, how am I going to promote the book? What, what, right. What's my platform? And, 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 you know, so you have to think yeah. about that and, and what, you know, what, what, what can self-publishing companies do for you and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah. yeah, but. What have yeah. you learned over the years? I mean, I know now you guys, you have the, you launched the update and revised version, but just looking on Amazon, it seems like you're rolling out at one book a year or sometimes two or three books a year. So what have, what have you learned since then and kind of what's your guys' approach now to, to, to launching a book? Well, now, of course, uh, uh, I have a whole team at Moody Publishers that, <laughs> and a full-time gal that does promotion. So she sets up radio interviews, television interviews, uh, podcasts, doing, doing a lot of podcasts on a new book as well. Uh, all those kind of things. Uh, those are the primary things. And then, of course, you know, I have a speaking ministry myself. I should say I did before COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was leading seminars all over the country and having a 500 to 2,000 people on Saturdays come to events and we have mm. books available. You know, obviously, yeah. all those kind of things really, really help uh, if you have a if you have a speaking thing, or yeah. uh, also if you have a, a following online, that that helps as well to promote to things. Obviously, so yeah. there we're using all those avenues, you know, now yeah. in, in promoting books and and uh, and you know, as I as I said, my books just kind of grow out of a felt need. For example, one of the books I did this uh, last last year in the middle of the pandemic was five simple ways to strengthen your marriage when you're stuck at home together. Mm. <laughs> and it was a little book. It was a much, yeah. much smaller book, you know, than, than the normal size book. But I just thought, you know, people are going through all this and, and they, they need something that they can let, put their hands on and say, let's, let's try these things, you know? Yeah. Uh, because if people weren't having, if they didn't have a good marriage before the pandemic, it got worse with yeah. all the stress. If yeah. they had a fairly healthy marriage, they probably did all right, you know, and, and they may even have thrived during this time. Uh, so, uh, you know, again, it just grew out of a felt need on my part to, and, and then also I had more time because I wasn't traveling all over because I had, yeah. I had all my things were canceled mm -hmm. or, or went on, went on the online. And I probably, probably spoken to more people during this time online than I would have spoken in person. Uh, but it's very different, of course. Uh, yeah. Know, but anyway <laughs> how do you come up with these titles like even the even the what the title that you just mentioned i mean it's just such a clear we always say the measure of a good title is does your prospect or reader instantly understand what the book's about and whether or not it's for them yeah. and i feel like all of your titles check that box how do you come up with such great titles well some of them i came up with that one i came up with and some of them my publisher will i mean i'll give I'll always give them ideas my ideas and sometimes they tweak them and sometimes they come up with a totally different idea. And, uh, and most of the time I like it, you know, because uh, I mean, they're in the business, they're doing this all the time. So, uh, but what you said is, is exactly right. What you want on the title is that as soon as they read that title, they know what that book's about. And if they in anywhere or near a need on that, then they're going to pick it up and they're going to read it. 
So I think titles are important. And, uh, and that's why, you know, that original book, Toward a Growing Marriage, we changed the title after uh, the first publication. And it's called The Marriage You've Always Wanted. Mm. You know, why uh, the change and how'd you come up with that? Well, I think because it wasn't selling that much, you know, toward a growing marriage, people didn't know quite what that meant. And, uh, but everybody wants a good marriage, you know, and the marriage you've always wanted. Uh, I've got an idea what it would be like, so this might help me. And then the first book that, that, that where our title was on hope for the separated, that was the title hope for the separated wounded marriages can be healed. Well, that was specifically to people who were physically separated. You know, they may divorced or may not yet be divorced, but they were separated. And that, yes, it touched them, but we changed the title to, uh, let's see, what was it? Uh, <laughs> hard to remember all the titles. Uh, the subtitle is what to do when your marriage is falling apart. Mm, I can't remember yeah. the original. I can't remember the official title right now. One, one, yeah. one more try. That's it. One more try. What mm. to do when your marriage is falling apart. Mm -hmm. So that applies not only to people who may be separated, but people who are still living together, but they're in serious trouble and they know it, you know? So yeah, titles, uh, uh, titles are important. And sometimes, you know, you realize that the, the title you have doesn't really grab people, you know, when they see it yeah and and gary i've got to give i know i mean i know i've already said it but i've got to give you props because these titles are just so good things i wish i'd known before we got married when sorry isn't enough making things right with those that you love loving your spouse when you feel like walking away real help for desperate hearts and dis in difficult marriages just i mean instantly understand what's the book is about whether or not it's for you there's often the pain benefit kind of one, two punch speaking to the pain that the person is in and then the asper or aspirational benefit and, uh, and, and kind of the benefit that's part of the book itself. So it just, I think is they're, they're really, really great. So I think you've done an awesome job with that. Let's talk about the, uh, the love languages quiz. When, when did that come into, into play and how does that fit in with the book? And I'm sure you have a bunch of people that take the quiz and then buy the book and then a bunch of people that buy the book and then go take the quiz. So wh when did, uh, when did you introduce that and how have you seen back, seen that kind of impact the business and book sales? We actually uh, introduced that quiz in the first edition of the first book. We had it printed. We didn't have it online. We had it on, in the back of the book and uh, we tweaked it a few times, you know, because we've got a lot of feedback. Uh, but we had, we had a quiz there. And the purpose of that was, okay, so you hear about these five love languages. How do you figure out, you know, what your primary love language is or what somebody else's primary love language is? And we thought, you know, if we can put together a tool uh, where they take a little quiz and it, it shows them, you know, what the primary language, that would be really, really helpful. So it was there in the very beginning. Uh, and then, as I said, we tweaked it a few times along the way uh, after we had more research, uh, you know, on, on that. In fact, uh, the publisher told me just recently that uh, 50 million people have taken that quiz. It's free. And I said to my publisher who, who, who runs that website, I said, you guys should have been charging a dollar a piece. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, no, we're just trying to help people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that about them, you know? So uh, yeah, 50 million people. And, and as you know, probably know, 
there's a quiz for married couples, there's a quiz for single adults, there's a quiz for teenagers, and there's a, a series of questions that you can work, use and ask your children, younger children. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that's been very, very helpful. Uh, obviously, more people have taken the quiz than have bought the book, but that's okay. You know, at least they, they got the concept. And, but you're right, many people will take the quiz and then they want to read the book and some read the book and then the, uh, of course, the book still has the quiz in the back of it, you said the printed quiz, but uh, many people go online and I encourage people to go online. It's an, at least will be an introduction to the concept, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I, that's the thing I love about these quizzes is it's just kind of a, a circle of life, if you will. It's people take the quiz and then buy the book. So it drives book sales, but then it also drives adoption of the book, which helps more people through the book. It also grows your email list through the book. I mean, it, there's yeah. just such a it's such a just so many benefits to having it any tips from what you've learned on how to create a quiz in tandem with your book i'm not really good at that to be honest with you i did put together the first quiz but uh, my publisher worked on it a lot you know even the first one because that's not really my uh, my forte uh and that's what i would also say to writers uh don't depend on your your skills if you're not really good at something find some people who, you know, it's their, it's their strong point and, and utilize the help of others, particularly in things like that. That's great. And you're, you're still writing. I mean, how many books do you write a year? Yeah, I don't have a goal to how many write, I write. I just, I just write, you know, whatever's on my mind at the time. And, and, and I, sometimes I, I, I'm thinking someday I'll write a book on that, but sometimes I'm just focusing on that one right now. And, uh, you know, most recently I wrote my memoirs and they won't be out till April. Uh, but it's called, uh, let's see, what's it called? Lessons learned and love languages. Less, uh, what I learned on my unexpected journey. So it's a story of my life and what I learned. And now that here's the thing about the title. Originally the title I, I had and I proposed was how I became me. I still like that <laughs> title, <laughs> but, but what the publisher was saying is there's a whole lot of people that know about the love languages. that don't know who I am. Mm. You know, they, they just see Gary Chapman. They wouldn't, they wouldn't buy a memoir of Gary Chapman because they don't, but so in the title, they, they put the love, you know, lessons learned, love languages, you know, now, okay. Oh, this is the guy that wrote the love language book. Yeah. 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 I'd like to read about his life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's smart. Hey, we, Gary, we have people ask us all the time about love languages or sorry, not about love languages. We have that as well, but uh, about memoirs, any, any lessons that you learned, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, <laughs> but lessons that you've learned specific to writing a memoir and how that was different from the other books that you wrote? Well, obviously I'd never written a memoir before. <laughs> I read a few through the years, you know, I, I, I really enjoy hearing the backstory of people's lives. Uh, so I'm, I'm not even saying that what I, that what I wrote is, is a model that anybody should follow. But uh, what I did was because I had that concept, how I became me. So I thought of what had been the huge, the big influences in my life. And uh, so I came up with five areas. Of course, you'd think I'd come up with five areas <laughs> that, that greatly influenced me. One was my childhood. We're all greatly influenced by our childhood. And so I talk about my parents and my sister and you know, my childhood. And then uh, uh, I don't know if I got these in order or not, but one is my educational journey. 
you know, high school and all the, all the way through all the schooling that I did through all the years. Uh, one is my marriage. I was greatly impacted by my marriage. In fact, I probably would not have gone into counseling if my, my wife and I hadn't had so many problems in the early years of our marriage, which gave me empathy for other people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then how I was influenced by my children. You well, we always talk about how parents influence children, but listen, children influence parents. And I talk about what I learned, you know, then. and then uh, my writing and speaking, uh, you know, career. Uh, so that, that's kind of the, the route I went. And, and what I was, what I was trying to pull out and remember is what are the lessons that I learned in each of these, each of these areas, you know, and, uh, and, and along the way, I'm sharing those lessons so that I hope the reader is not just discovering about my life, but they're getting ideas. Oh, oh yeah, that would help me, you know? Uh, so that's, that's kind of what I'm doing. And then in the, in the beginning of the book, I, I encourage, I encourage others to, to think if you're getting older, write your story. And even if it never gets published, it's there for your grandkids and your, and your great grandkids, you know? Uh, so, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that will stimulate some people who maybe yeah. would not have even thought about writing their story, uh, to write their story. Uh, and, and, you know, if you, you say, well, I'm not a writer. Well, okay. You, you put it on everything you can think of and then maybe get somebody to help you a little bit, you know, but, uh, uh, the, you know, in our culture, especially in my opinion, not many young people are seeking the wisdom of older adults. They're in the moment, whatever the fad is. And yet older adults have a whole lot of wisdom. And a lot of older adults are not sharing with their children and grandchildren mm -hmm. the, the lessons they've learned through the years. Mm -hmm. So I just see it as, as, a, as a way of extending your life and your ministry to other people. Yes. Uh, if, if, you write, if you write your story and what, what you've Absolutely. learned. It's a yeah. part of your legacy. And it's, it's, I think I agree. It's, I think it's one of the best ways to, to, to pass down these lessons that you've learned. Because if you think about it, you know, I probably only learned 20, 30% of my, of what my grandpa who passed away when I was one year old or great grandparents that I never met of what yeah. they learned from all their life experience. And that was just what was passed down through, you know, parents, parents, and my parents and all those things. But a book is just such a way to crystallize those lessons learned yeah, uh, and absolutely. live out that legacy, but also to, to pass those down to kids, your kids, kids. And uh, so that's awesome. Gary, this has been amazing. This is a great segue to kind of final question or two here. Knowing what you know now, what would you say to the Gary of, gosh, 20-something years ago and all the other Garys out there that are about to write their first book? Yeah. What, are you, what are your tips to those folks from what you've learned? Well, I think what I would say, I, I never dreamed of being a writer when I was younger. To be honest, it never crossed my mind that I would ever write a book. But so I guess what I would say is, maybe I've already said this, but write out of your passion. If, if, if you have a, a strong interest in something and you believe it would help other people and you, you obviously, if you have a passion, you know, a lot, you know, something about it because you've been spending time in whatever it is. So right out of your passion, uh, and, and really, I'll start to say, don't worry too much about how many it sells, but <laughs> I mean, obviously we want the book to sell because the more sales, the more people it's going to help, but, uh, and don't, don't you know, say, well, I'm going to be the 
best writer in the world. Uh, be yourself. That's the other thing I would say. Be yourself. Uh, write in write in your language, uh, and uh, and write out of your passion. Uh, to me, that's uh, and 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 here here is the positive thing today. Uh, because it's hard to get a first book published by you know a, 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 an established publishing house, uh, and that's where self-publishing people can get books published through the self-publishing industry that would never have gotten them published you know thirty years ago. And so 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 they don't sell a million copies, okay? And maybe they maybe they sold a thousand copies. Well, that's a thousand people whose lives you touched who would not have been touched. If you didn't, if you didn't have that book out there, yeah. So, you know, uh, that that that'd be my suggestion. Is is if you have if, if you have a something that you believe is worth passing on to other people, don't just write to be writing. But if you've got something you believe is worth passing on to other people, then go for it. That's awesome, Gary. This has been so good, so fun seeing kind of the behind the scenes of a. Uh, uh, of of uh, just such a successful series and books that have speaking of helping people have helped so many people. So um, thank you for sharing your wisdom. Where can people go to find out more about you uh, and, and to buy your books? Uh, five love languages.com. <laughs> the number five, five love languages.com. You can get little blurbs on all of my books. You can order them there. Of course you can order them other places, you know, Amazon and other places as well. And you can also sign up for a weekly email that I send out to yay many people. And uh, we have Instagram and, and uh, Facebook and other things uh, that I have help, of course, in doing all that stuff. Uh, I wouldn't be able to do all that by myself. I'm not a technical person. Uh, but yeah, you probably find that more about me than you wanted to know if you go to five love languages. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome gary this was great and guys check out the books um get the book read the book it'll it'll change your relationships it'll change your marriage i know it's been a framework for for my relationships uh and 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 for my company i mean self-publishing school we it's a language that we speak <laughs> um with other people in the company with new employees and understanding how we can make people feel loved and supported uh, within the company. So I just think there's so many great applications. So uh, grab the book and you won't regret it. Gary, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Chandler. It was good chatting with you and keep up the good work of helping people reach the goal of getting published. So thanks for what you're doing. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you can be listening to, YouTube channels that you can be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right, reviews are super important and help the podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode.
If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.